Welcome to the OCR Underground Show. Each week, you get the latest research, training secrets of top coaches, and everything you need to crush your next obstacle course race and finish burpee-free. Here's your host, SGX coach, Mike Diebler. All right, what's up? Welcome to the OCR Underground Show. This is episode number 64. As always, thank you so much for joining me and making this a part of your training protocol. If you want to check out the show notes for this episode, head on over to ocrunderground.com slash episode 64. Uh, before we get into it, I want to let you know a little bit about our sponsors for who are supporting this episode. First, we have Venga CBD. Venga CBD make high-quality CBD products specifically with the endurance athlete in mind. And uh, they actually have a new product out, their CBD gummies, which uh, is actually for in-race or in-competition uh, performance or even during hard training sessions. I actually got to try this out on my recent long run. And it's basically a little little dose of CBD during your run. And um, one of the great benefits of this is if you tend to have some issues, some pain, some inflammation maybe that you're dealing with, especially during some of these longer events, uh, and you find yourself constantly taking ibuprofen or NSAIDs or something along those lines, this might be a nice alter alternative to help keep some of that inflammation down, help reduce some of that pain so you can finish your performance uh, and have uh, less pain uh, preventing you from from getting to the finish line or at least just reducing your performance there. So uh, they have uh, worked out a special deal for you. Our listeners of the show get 15% off any of their products. Just head on over to vengacbd.com slash OCR underground. And if you use the code OCR underground, uh, you will get 15% off your next order. I uh, also want to let you know about Handmaster Plus. One of my big proponents in training is to make sure people are working that body in balance and not just focusing on one area and developing unbalanced joints. And grip is no different. If you're constantly working your grip, trying to squeeze things, hang, hold on, uh, you're training the same muscles in the same joint position over and over and over again. If you're And if you're not doing anything to balance that out, like opening your hand, and training those muscles, uh, you are more susceptible for certain issues like uh, elbow tendonitis and other other joint pain. So uh, Handmaster Plus is a great tool to help balance out that training. So you are working on your traditional squeezing exercises, but you also get to train the muscles that open the grip as well. So uh, check out their product. You get different list level resistance bands um, at uh, handmasterplus.com. Well, I have to say that I've had a pretty interesting summer, some highs and lows. Uh, recently just got back from an amazing two-week vacation. Uh, we had a week in the Caribbean, uh, cruising it up, hitting up different islands, uh, eating a ton of food, drinks, all that good stuff, and then um, then spent a week in Alabama at the Gulf Shores uh, visiting family and hanging out at the beach with pretty much more of the same, uh, but it was an awesome little break, vacation, reset, uh, get to come back feeling motivated and, and ready to go again. Uh, and then unfortunately, not shortly after we got back, but our son, who is seven, got super sick, developed pneumonia, and just been dealing with, with trying to get him better. Um, but I'm happy to say he's finally on the mend and actually got to sc start school today. Um, so that was super exciting and just really glad he's doing well. But it was definitely some some highs and lows there. But I'm feeling like everything's getting back on track and, and happy to be recording this podcast and um, just getting back into my my normal routine. Uh, before we get into uh, the, the main portion of the, the episode, 
I'm sure you probably have seen there's been a lot of talk about the new rule changes that Spartan has put out that has taken effect, uh, I believe, on August 24th. And you may have seen the rule book. I'll actually post the uh, updated version uh, in the show notes for this episode. And uh, But I figured I could at least go through a couple highlights so you can see what the major changes were. So it actually gave me a chance to kind of read through all the rules. Um, not It's not something I do very often and just kind of rely on people to tell me what to do as I get to the obstacle. But it is always good to know uh, all the different things that uh, you probably should should know going into the race. Um, so I'm just going to read off a couple things that I noticed. Not all of these are new. Some I just thought were worth mentioning because you just may not have, have seen it before and it's in the rule book, so might as well be aware of it. Um, so for example, uh, burpees uh, not completed in the burpee zone will not be counted towards your burpee penalty. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So make sure if you're going to do those burpees, get in the burpee zone. If it becomes so filled, it does make a note that uh, an additional zone might be created by uh, volunteers there. Uh, as far as uh, equipment that you can't have, and I should make a note that these rules are primarily for age group and elite. Um, with the open division, obviously, there's not going to be disqualifications um, unless it's something dramatic going on. Um, like you will see in the elite and the age group division. Uh, but going back to uh, equipment, um, again, not all of these are new, but some that I, I am seeing for the first time, like uh, no chalk is allowed or hiking poles or basically any other equipment that might give an advantage. Music is not allowed, which I know that's uh, been in there before, but just worth bringing up. Uh, pacing is not allowed, so having somebody pace you in between obstacles to try and uh, push you a little bit faster. So that actually is in the, the rule book as well. Um, what else do they have in there? Uh, ringing the bell, I think it's pretty obvious that we're not using the feet, but they do say you can use anything above your chest. So if you hit it with your shoulder, your head, apparently that is okay. You just uh, can't, can't kick that bell at all. Um, another thing, I, I hadn't seen this before. I don't know if it's new, but um, it's good to know that if significant physical interference from another racer causes you to fail an obstacle, it says that you are allowed to repeat that obstacle at no penalty. So if somebody is swinging on another obstacle, monkey bars or twister, and they bump into you and knock you off, it looks like that you can actually reattempt that obstacle. Um, another general rule, uh, and I know I talked with a client about this, and I wasn't aware of it until I saw it in the rule book, but it has to do with timing. Uh, if you are running elite, it is going off of gun time. If you're going age group or open, they are going to base it off of chip time. And as well as the elites in the stadium races, that is going to be chip timing as well. Uh, so just good to know if, if you are racing elite, it's going to be, it doesn't matter where you are in the pack when you start, first one across the finish line is going to win the race. Um, going into the obstacles, how they broke up the rule book, it basically goes into your multiple attempt obstacles your single attempt obstacles, and then your mandatory obstacles. So not not a ton of rule changes, but just, just so you know, the multiple attempt obstacles, I'm not going to list all of them, but these are things like uh, the Herc Hoist, walls, hurdles, uh, inverted walls, atlas carry, um, tire flips, uh, bender, uh, the box, the fire jump. I thought that was interesting. They put the fire jump in there. I guess you can keep going through that. Um, I don't know if you're going to want to if you fail the fire jump the first time, but you can reattempt it if you want. 
Um, the plate drag, rolling mud, rope climb, slip wall, uh, vertical cargo. So a whole bunch of uh, multiple attempts, uh, attempt obstacles there. And uh, really the main the main things I noticed in there, the Herc hoist, um, you, you can change lanes if you want. Um, like it says, it is multiple attempt. You just have to remember to put down the bag gently each time. You can't let it slam. And um, you can put your feet on the fence, but you cannot stand on the fence and you cannot let your hips go. Uh, they call it, uh, I forget the wording, like horizontal plane. So basically you can't let your hips get higher than the top of the fence. Um, another big change they made was in the Atlas Carry, they, they got rid of the burpees. Um, you know, not, not sure how I feel on that one. Um, but I guess now you can definitely say you did a burpee free race, even if the Atlas carry is in there, uh, the tire flip. I know this one is probably going to annoy some people. Um, but you have to completely disengage from the obstacle, meaning you cannot lift the tire up, walk around the other side, lower it back down and keep your foot or your hands underneath it. Uh, you have to completely flip it over let go of the tire completely and then do it again. Uh, it's good to know you, it is a multiple attempt obstacle in that if you haven't flipped one yet, you, you can change lane or you can change tires and, and try different ones out there. So, but once you flip it once you are committed and you cannot go to a different, uh, a different tire there, uh, you can't get inside the tire. I'm not sure how that would help you, but, um, but you cannot get in there. Um, but yeah, just make sure you, you flip it. Dis disengage and then flip it back. Uh, and then the only other, I think, major change I saw was with the vertical, or really with the cargo, the A-frame, uh, just the, the trusses that you can use the horizontal trusses or supports at the bottom and the top, but any vertical ones going up, you can't, you can't climb them like a ladder. You have to stay on the cargo net for there. Uh, then they got into the single attempt obstacles. So these are, you know, your hanging obstacles like your monkey bars, um, the beater, the helix, balance beams, ape hanger, multi-rig, Olympus, um, spear throw. Uh, what else is in there? Z-wall, Tyrolean Traverse, all obstacles like that. Um, and really, I don't think there were too many changes in there. They just kind of made it set in stone that on the Z-wall, you can use that corner post. Um, you still can't grab above or below, but you can grab that corner post as you round there. And on the monkey bars, you can't use the vertical trusses uh, to get on the obstacle, like climb it like a ladder. So I know some of the shorter athletes are not super happy about that, but um, you can use the, the stool to get up there, but not climb anything else. Um, and then the final obstacle were the mandatory obstacles. And these were a lot of the carrying ones, the armor um, crawling, barbed wire, bucket carry, sandbag carry, dunk wall, farmer's carry, swims, uh, things like that. And um, the only things really worth noting, the armor, which I haven't seen in all the races, but a couple, which is like kind of like the Atlas carry with a handle. And basically you have to carry it by the handle or handles, depending on how it's set up. Uh, the bucket carry, uh, the lid, if it falls off, you have to put it back on. If nothing falls out of the bucket, then you're you're good to go. You just put the lid back on. You can keep keep walking. Um, but if anything falls out, you have to go back, uh, refill or get a new book bucket and start over. The sandbag carry. Uh, I don't know if this is a new obstacle, but I guess maybe just another thing worth noting is um, really if it's a double sandbag carry that both bags have to move forward simultaneously, meaning like you can't pick one up, 
run down with it, go back for the other one. Or with any of these carrying obstacles, if you drop it, you can't drag it, roll it, push it, anything like that. It's once it hits the ground, you have to keep it there until you're ready to pick it up and, and move it forward again. So uh, just a, a couple things that I thought were worth bringing up. Um, I don't think any of these are going to have any drastic effects on the race, um, but who knows? I guess we'll see. Uh, I think the tire is going to probably present more of a challenge now that people kind of figured out that, you know, slowly lower it down and, and lift it back up and flip it over. Now that you can't do that, that's probably going to be a challenge. Um, being able to carry the bucket anywhere, I honestly, I don't know if that's going to help. Um, I, I'm more of a fan. I Even given the choice, I'm going to probably not change a thing there. Um, but just that's how I train, and I think that's probably the most efficient way to do it. But I'm sure... You know, everybody carries it differently, and, and some people might have a little advantage if they want to carry it on their shoulders. But anyway, want to bring those up and um, make sure everybody was aware of them, and I'm sure there'll be more changes as the sport continues to evolve. All right, now that we got the new rules and the changes out of the way, let's transition into the rest of this episode. In the Inside Mike's Mind segment, I am going to talk about what to do when you're just not feeling motivated and need a little extra push to get back into your training program. In the research review, I'm going to talk about eating breakfast or not eating breakfast and how it may or may not help specifically with strength training. And in our coach's corner, I talk with uh, Spartan Pro and Venga CBD sponsored athlete, Heather Golnick. Heather has been really killing it in OCR, and she talks about kind of her personal training and coaching strategies and really how she went from being an elite triathlete to an elite OCR athlete. And with many, as many races as she's doing and as competitive as she is, she talks about how she stays in her prime and stays fresh and her top recovery strategies, as well as what to do when uh, herself is dealing with an injury or perhaps one of her clients that she is working in. Uh, we get into some of her beliefs on in-season and out-of-season or off-season training and uh, some of her tapering strategies when she's get ready, getting ready for a race. And then we also talk about her book, uh, The Triathlete EQ, which, as she explains, is not just for triathletes, but really gets into the emotional and the mental side of, uh, of the training. All right, so lots of great stuff. So let's get into this episode. Okay, in the Inside Mike's Mind segment, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about remotivating yourself. And this has just been a common question or concern that I've seen come up with many individuals on how they're just lost that that passion. They've lost that motivation to keep training. Now, in my interview with Heather, we, we do touch into this, but I, I, I thought it was worth uh, discussing it a little bit further and really wanted to share kind of my top three things that you can easily do to kind of help fix this situation if you just find yourself not not having that passion and, and motivation to get going again. Uh, the first thing is uh, there's a good chance you're overtraining. That's kind of one of the signs of overtraining syndrome is when you are, one, it, it could actually go as far as depression or at least just have lost that motivation um, and not really willing to put in the work that you need to do. And I think having a planned recovery uh, multiple plan recoveries in your training program will go a long way. So if you're trying to train hard all year round, and I know I've talked about this on previous episodes, but it's it's worth bringing up again, you just can't do that. 
right? It's, it's going to lead to not just physical stress and overtraining, but also the mental overtraining and stress. So you need to have kind of once every four, six, eight weeks or so, um, just kind of depends on, on your specific situation and your program, you need to, to have some kind of planned recovery. Now, this can be cross-training, just doing something completely different. This could be just lighter workouts. Um, it could be just taking a break, taking a step back. Uh, that really that absence of, of what you had been doing, all of a sudden you'll see that fire relight. I know, you know, for example, I, I mentioned that I went on a long vacation this summer and that's kind of exactly what happened with me, not, not just training, but just, uh, with, with work in general. So it was great, you know, going away. And I wish I could say that I a hundred percent turn it off and, and do no work at all when I'm on vacation. Um, but I think I did a pretty good job, but really what I do is just kind of jot down ideas that I have. And I notice the longer I'm away, the more eager I am to get back sometimes and really implement new things. And, and I get a chance to brainstorm and, you know, just kind of get more clarity. And that, that should be the point of a vacation, I think, or just taking time off is to really have that clarity that you become motivated again to get back to it. So by the time my vacation was over, of course, you know, there's the stress with trying to catch up, but I was really just ready to go and um, and get back with my clients and, and help and, and do all the things that I normally do and really uh, learn to love it again. When you never take vacation, you start to dread work and resent it a little bit. I think training is the same way <laughs> when you do the same things over and over, pushing hard, never taking breaks. Uh, we, we have a, that loss of drive and you just don't really want to do it anymore. Um, the second thing is, you know, hiring a coach or somebody to keep you accountable. Uh, that could also be like a workout buddy, somebody that's going to keep pushing you um, if you just need a little bit of extra help there. Uh, could be, you know, having somebody look at your program, you know, ideally a professional, but really having something, a, a new routine come up, maybe new pieces of equipment, right? There, there's a lot you can do, adjust your body weight or just dumbbells. You, you don't need a whole lot of equipment to get a great workout, but there's something to be said about variety. And if you've been doing the same thing over and over and over again, or very similar, maybe the same, it could be different exercises, but you're always doing the same sets, you're always doing the same reps, or you just kind of get stuck in that, that cycle, this is a great time to have somebody come in from the outside, kind of take a look at what you're doing, and give you some new ideas on how you can change it up. And, and that might be a great way to reinvigorate you. And then the last thing I thought was worth mentioning is really reevaluate your why, your goal, your purpose, whatever you want to call it. There's uh, probably a reason you got into training for obstacle course racing. Maybe you just didn't want to get killed out on the course, or maybe you wanted a podium or um, come in top 10, whatever it might be. Uh, if maybe you've already achieved that goal, maybe you realized that you set the goal just too high and you're not going to be able to accomplish something like that. But I think it's worth it to sit down and really take the time and really uh, rediscover why are you so passionate about this and maybe some things have changed and your focus might change and you might be more focused on just being healthier and not as focused on performance or maybe it's you know you want to crack the top 10 in your age group or whatever it might be so really just understanding your main goals behind it make it very clear and just having that new purpose might be enough to to keep you motivating. So hopefully those three things give you some little bit of clarity and uh, some ideas on when you're just not feeling it, you're kind of down, and and you don't just don't feel like getting getting those workouts in, or maybe just not pushing it like you used to. Uh, it's it's time for a change, and hopefully these are some some uh, good ways that you can implement that.
Okay, it is time for our research review, and we're going to talk about breakfast. And with the popularity of intermittent fasting and, and not eating breakfast, I thought this was uh, an appropriate research paper that we should discuss. So uh, this is from the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research, and what they did was they took 16 male experienced lifters who ate breakfast regularly. And I do want to make that point that they are breakfast eaters, and that's an important, important thing to uh, understand for this study. <clears throat> Then they had them go into the lab and they performed uh, their 10 rep max. So they specifically did it for squats and deadlifts and they wanted to determine what their 10 rep max weight would be. And then they came back a few days later and completed uh, two trials. Now what they did in each trial in the first one, they had a breakfast and it was actually primarily a carbohydrate breakfast, about 1.5 grams per kilogram of body weight they, they ate. Um, or in the other trial, they had just water. <clears throat> and then in both situations, they would wait two hours. And then what they did was perform four sets to failure of each of those exercises using 90% of their 10 rep max. So they recorded the total number of reps, reps completed over those four sets. And what they found was those that ate breakfast for the squats on average, performed 68 reps over those four sets. Uh, in the breakfast non-eaters, they only performed 58. So very significant difference there, 10 total less reps over the four sets. On the bench press, the breakfast eaters performed 40 reps on average, and the breakfast omitters only hit 38. So not a huge difference there, but according to their research anal uh, statistical analysis in this study, they did find that to be a significant difference. So if we look at the results of the study, we see for strength training, the uh, best way to go is probably to eat breakfast. Um, now, there's uh, some things I think we should take away from this that uh, we, we should talk about a little bit more. The first being, these were all breakfast consumers. So you, you take a bunch of people that normally eat breakfast, they're going to do best in that situation. If you have them not eat breakfast, that's going to be something totally different for them. And now they're, uh, you know, obviously not going to perform as well. So I think it would be interesting to see any long-term adaptations. So one thing, and, and this makes it very hard to look at nutrition research, is the body is so complex. And all the processes that occur in the body are, uh, there's so many, it's hard to say like, oh, this causes this. Um, but what we do know is that the body is efficient and it will adapt. So when you put the body under stress, it will figure it out, become more efficient at that and do better. Now, will it perform just as well as when they ate breakfast? I don't know. That's something we'd have to see. Um, <laughs> but it is something that we, we should take into account here. Uh, but that kind of leads to the next point, And that's really understanding what, what fuel source is being used in the workout. And is it okay to not eat breakfast or not? So with things like intermittent fasting, uh, you, you might see a lot of people doing exercise in a fasted state, and sometimes this is very helpful, and sometimes it might actually be hurting performance like we see in this study. So when we look at what they did in this study, so it is strength training, when you see they were doing uh, sets to failure uh, using 90% of their 10 rep max, so they're most likely hitting at least 10 reps, but probably a little bit more, at least in those earlier sets. So that will take a, you know, 30 seconds, 45 seconds to complete a set. So that amount of time under that amount of intensity, we're definitely going to be using carbohydrates for fuel, which is why they chose a carbohydrate breakfast to fuel before 
uh, that part of the study. That is going to supply much of the energy, and uh, as it showed in the study, it's going to be most beneficial there. Now, if we look at a different type of training, so maybe more aerobic training, and especially low intensity, so I'm going for a, a, just an easy, longer run, I know that most of the fuel is going to be coming from fats, and we probably uh, have a decent amount of fat stores in the body, so we're going to be okay um, performing in a fasted state, and we probably won't see much of uh, any a drop in performance at all because we don't have to really tap into too much uh, glycogen or sugar uh, to hit any high intensities. So that probably is a great place to skip breakfast uh, and um, and train in a fasted state. Uh, the last thing I want to bring up is, well, why are you skipping breakfast in the first place? Are you doing it? And, you know, intermittent fasting is, has shown to have a, a lot of health benefits. I don't think it's the only way to eat, but for many people, it does seem to work pretty well for a variety of reasons. It might help control blood sugar levels, uh, potentially weight loss, and a few other things. Uh, so you might be doing it more for that. And if that those are your primary concerns and it seems to be working well, just know that depending on what type of workout you do, that might um, reduce your uh, ability to perform in those situations. Uh, if you're just doing it because you heard it's good and it's the latest craze, then you you definitely want to step back and think a little, a little bit more about that and see if it's a good fit for your situation. Uh, and an easy way we can solve this, if possible, is you can still follow intermittent fasting and not eat breakfast, but just don't perform your workouts in the morning. So you can still skip breakfast, go about your morning, and then you work out in the afternoon after you've broken that fast and have eaten something. So that might be an easy fix for you there. Uh, I will say um, one, one point I do want to bring up to finish up here is the more we work out in a fasted state or at least long stretches between meals, uh, the more important nutrient timing is. So this is where it becomes critical to if you didn't eat anything before your workout and then you worked out, ap <laughs> after your workout, you want to make sure that you're you're getting the fuel in uh, to help re repair, replenish, and recover as quickly as you can. So at whatever type of workout we're doing, whether it's strength training, aerobic training, um, you're causing stress and you're creating havoc in the body. Uh, and if we fuel uh, quickly after that workout, we're going to enhance recovery and making us feel uh, more, more re or get us more recovered for the next workout. So um, that becomes more important if you haven't eaten anything beforehand. If, if you did, then, you know, it's not like you digested and, and use that all that fuel that you just ate. It's going to be available for after the workout as well. So sometimes when you do something pre-workout and post-workout, you know, assuming you're not going on like, a, you know, a, a three hour uh, training session, uh, it's probably going to be fine. You don't have to overkill it with with eating a ton. Um, so just know know the fuel source of the workout and uh, when you're going to be eating things. But hopefully that that gives you some ideas on whether you should be eating before, after, even during your workout based on the situation that you're in. guys it is time for our interview and uh, i have an awesome surprise for you we have on heather golnick one of the members of the spartan pro team and heather is no stranger to endurance performance she has spent almost a decade as a pro triathlete winning multiple ironman titles uh, on top of that she's actually successfully helped over 100 athletes across uh, that finish line as well to, to complete an ironman challenge which is just such a huge 
feet. Uh, as I mentioned, she is currently part of the Spartan Pro Team, uh, and she's the head coach at Liberty University uh, for the men's and women's triathlete teams. Uh, so Heather, thank you so much for coming on today. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Um, so I, I want to get into lots of different things today. So I'm going to be firing stuff at you. We'll see where it goes. But I know with your experience, you just have so much information. And I know it's going to help our listeners prepare better for their races. So but let's just start a little bit about you. So I, I gave a super short uh, uh, and I, I hate to um, give everything you've accomplished such a short time. So I want to make sure that you have a chance to kind of talk about how you got into, you know, we're going to focus on obstacle course racing. So, uh, you know, from where you started from triathlons to how you got into OCR and, and kind of that, that path that you were on. Yeah, well, I was a professional triathlete for uh, over 10 years competing mostly in Ironmans. I did 37 Ironmans, uh, been to Kona, which is the Ironman world championships 13 times. And over my career, I won, uh, five Ironman titles. Um, so I was, I was, you know, just like you see OCR people, just like gung-ho, racing, racing. That was me in triathlon. And then I retired, kind of that muscle was turning to fat. <laughs> I needed to set some goals. I needed to figure out what I was going to do. And I still was competitive, um, just by nature. And so I found OCR and I've just been hooked. It's just so much fun. And I think one thing I liked, like triathlon was very like, what's your 5k, what's your 10k PR, what's your half marathon, everything was like exact distances. And where, you know, an OCR race is, oh, it's five-ish miles, nine-ish miles. Mm -hmm. You couldn't really like compare yourself week after week or month after month. And, you know, the obstacles are set up different. And so it just makes it enjoyable because you can go out and just do your best and you're not constantly like comparing yourself to how you were. But yeah, you see that improvement because maybe you couldn't make some obstacles and couldn't make your spear. That was me. <laughs> <laughs> you have your first clean race and you're like, woohoo. Um, and so I just, and I love the OCR community. Like everyone is just so nice and so welcoming. And uh, it just gave me like this excitement to go back and race so I did my first race out in California and I was like okay I think I should sign up a week just because yeah I'm still a fairly good runner and I was like talking to some people the day before and I'm like checking out the course and I'm like yeah I think I can do that well yeah I think I can do that and they're like um that's the kids course <laughs> <laughs> so I was pretty confident that I could do the kids course all right um, but I did a lot of burpees mm -hmm. um, had a blast, but I did a lot of burpees. So for anyone that's like frustrated because they still do burpees, um, you just have to keep training. Uh, so that, that's actually a great point. And I think we've all been there. I, I still remember I did 90 burpees, my first race and actually my first couple of races. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, and it gets better, but so you, you had a ton of success as a triathlete and then you come over and it's a different sport. Sure. There's some similarities, but like you said, it's a lot, a lot of different things there. And I, well, let me ask you this first. So when you finished that first race, did all those burpees, was it a, a success still in your eyes? Were you disappointed? You know, I just love to get your feeling on or how you felt after that first race. It was amazing. Like it was so much fun. And that like, competitive side of me was like I know I can learn how to do the monkey bars I know I can learn the spear I know I can do that and so 
each race as I got better at the obstacles. So a triathlete, you have no grip strength. And so <laughs> I was strong. I could do pull-ups, but I couldn't like make the rings. I couldn't make things because I just had no grip. Um, my husband was embarrassed how bad I threw the spear. <laughs> like, literally, he was like, I didn't know you can throw. <laughs> and so, you know, it just took a lot of work. Um, it probably was, you know, a couple months of just concentrating on my grip, um, various workouts. Um, and everyone's at a little bit different level. Like athletes I coach, if they can't do a pull-up, they're using a band and they're, you know, getting to the point where they can do a pull-up and then three and then five. Um, but getting that grip strength where they can hang and they can do hand switches and eventually hang from one arm, um, makes all the difference, um, come race day, especially for those upper body grip intensive obstacles. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, to give our listeners a little bit of perspective from that first race and, you know, you, you had to work on grip, you had to do all those specific things. And then clearly you've progressed and are doing amazing uh, at now. How long did it take to you felt like you were competitively racing in that elite category? So I was fortunate. I'm I'm 49, and back then they had the masters, and mm -hmm. so like 40 plus. And so I climbed those ranks pretty quick. Um, mm -hmm. But it did take a few seasons before being able to podium overall. Um, and so that was just like how fast those young girls are and how competitive it's getting. You really have to have um, a clean race to be able to, to get on the podium. And a lot of the races comes down to you miss something, you know, you're not on the podium or vice versa. I've had a couple of races. I won back-to-back uh, -back days in Fayetteville and I was not the fastest athlete there. Um, you know, both days I came into the final gauntlet of, of obstacles, six, six obstacles and I was, both days I was in fourth and ended up winning both days just because someone missed their spear or they fell on the rig or they fell on the Z wall. And um, that's where that obstacle proficiency really comes in and being able to do it when your heart rate's high and being able to do it like under pressure. And mm -hmm. so one of those days, the cameraman like walked around and my husband was like, oh my gosh, he was right at the end of the spear. Mm -hmm. and, like, oh, she's so going to miss it. I'm like, no, I'm not going to miss it. You know, like, you know, like being able to not let that like throw you off, but practicing spears with your do 20 burpees and then throw or running and then throwing or throwing when everyone's watching, mm -hmm. uh, you know, makes a big difference. Oh, absolutely. And, and I just, I, I, I like how you answered that, that it, it took you a couple seasons before you got on the podium and you had a pretty strong background going into this. Um, just, I know many listeners and, and clients that I've worked with right off the bat, they're like, I want to get on the podium. And it's like, okay, you know, we have to see where you are right now. And there's a lot of work we have to put in. And just like you said, you have to be willing to, to do all these things and not just the physical, but the, the mental side of it, which I know we're going to talk about in a, a little bit. So um, I'd love to kind of find out what your, you know, with the tri uh, triathlon training versus OCR training, I've seen a lot of a lot of success with that crossover where we have those um, marathon, well, maybe not marathoners, but I don't know, triathlons in particular, those athletes do really well in OCR. And I know you mentioned, okay, maybe not grip, um, but there's still some carryover. And I'd love to get your insight on maybe the training that you do now versus then, just what are some similarities or maybe some differences uh, 
that you you see in those two types of training? Well, I think for the first person getting into OCR, I mean, you have to focus on running because that's a big part of it. And then you have to focus on strength and grip work. And it can be a lot where a triathlete's used to a lot because you're training three sports. You're doing swimming, you're doing biking, you're doing running, you're doing strength training, you're doing mental training. I mean, so you're doing a lot. And so I actually train less um, than with with triathlon. And so because I'm not constantly training those sports, especially the biking takes up a ton of time. Um, For me, uh, I specialized in Ironman, which is around nine hours on a good day, 10 out of 11 on a bad day. Mm -hmm. And so so doing a beast actually doesn't seem that long. Mm -hmm. Um, Comparison, it's it's short time-wise. I think probably one of the biggest mistakes I see people coming into the sport is they don't focus on their running form. And that's one of the first things I do with clients. Even if they're a client that lives five states away, they send me video of them running. I play it in slow motion. And how can we get them to become a more efficient runner? A lot of people like heel strike or overstride, and they just don't even know they're doing it. And so the efficiency you can get in running can save you, you know, five minutes just by becoming more of an efficient runner um, versus just pounding out the training all the time. Yeah. I, I think that's a great thing. And I, I see so many people often, they're so worried about the obstacles or just so concerned with that side of it that they really aren't putting any of the running work in. And it's just nice to hear you say that, how important that is in your eyes as well, because I think that's where you're going to make up so much more time. If you're just a good overall runner, if you're, if you're strong on the trail, um, you know, at, because this is exactly how I started. I was pretty good at the obstacles, right? In my first couple of races, I missed, then I figured it out. Um, but I was always a, a slow to moderate runner. Um, but going burpee free will pass a lot of people. But the, rate, the, the event has gotten much smarter. And now you have people doing both. They're awesome runners. They're getting the obstacles. And if you want to compete, that has to be part of your game plan. Yep. So... Um, you also had, uh, if I, I had to stalk you a little bit before this interview to, to learn more about you. You also had a gymnastics background, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I did high school and college gymnastics. Um, and so that also played a part in just like being a stronger athlete. And once I got back into monkey bars and rings, it, it all came back to me. It was like, I actually was embarrassed when I started OCR. <laughs> I don't know how to do the monkey bars. And I I couldn't even remember how to climb a rope. My friend was showing me, she was like, you know how to climb a rope? And I'm like, it's been like 20 years. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. It all came back, you know, pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, but it's something I hadn't spent, you know, a lot of time doing anything like that. Yeah, and I, I just, that one of the things I love about the sport is you can pull from all these different disciplines to really see improvements where, you know, having a gymnastic background is obviously going to help with things, having that endurance background, uh, strength, all, all these different things. So we can, we can pull from all these to really create a good program, depending on what you need the most help in there. Um, I'd, I'd love to talk a little bit about your specific training um, to give our listeners some insight on, on kind of the things that you're focusing on. And I know this is kind of a hard question to answer because you're probably doing different things different times a year, but if we just say we're you know in the season now, and what what would a typical week look like for you? Well, so there's a big difference if it's race week or non-race week, and mm-hmm. so 
this week I'm actually leaving um, tomorrow after work to go to the North American Obstacle Race Championships in Stratton, Vermont. So I'm so excited, just awesome. all the obstacles and just the big championships. And so this week has been a lot lighter, which I think some athletes learn, but sometimes they learn over time that you really have to like taper before a big race. And it doesn't mean completely rest. It means get out there, do short efforts, um, do some openers, um, but not go into it fatigued at doing too much before a race is really important. And I think sometimes people learn the hard way because they just go in and they're tired. Um, that less is more the week before a race. Um, and so I've had a lighter, lighter week this morning. I, um, did some obstacles. Um, I'll do a 30 minute run with some pickups to race pace. I'll hold race pace for 20 seconds, but I won't hold it for two minutes because that's where that fatigue starts to set in. And so it's just doing enough. So you, you feel good, you get loose. Um, if you do nothing, you kind of get lethargic and you don't feel good. Yeah, I actually, uh, I, I remember when I ran track in, in college and, um, you know, that's kind of where I learned about tapering and the, 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 uh, every meet we had, you know, that week building up a lot of the times, uh, the coach would be like on certain days, it'd be like today's, you know, break a sweat day. It's not, you know, kill yourself day. It's just, you're going to get a good warm up. You're going to do some things to break a sweat and then you're going to cool down. And it's like, uh, and I like how you put it with your race pace where you're going to touch it, but you're not going to maintain it for very long. So it's, it's kind of, you know, both mentally and physically, your body is going through those motions, but you're not getting fatigued. So now we're dealing with soreness or just tired or rundown or whatever. So, um, and, and actually that's a question I get a lot too, is about tapering. So I'm glad you, you brought that up. Um, I, since we're talking about tapering, I'd love, uh, do you do much strength work the week of a race? I don't do any. I do okay. Tomorrow I'll get out my Shogun bands and I'll do some mobility work. I'll do just like make sure all my you know muscles are firing um, because the strength work's going to make me tired. So especially mm -hmm. at my age, you know, maybe someone in their twenties would do it, um, but I actually just do strength maintenance really during the season. I've been racing a ton, mm -hmm. so it's pretty much racing like every other weekend, sometimes back to back weekends, and so that's just going to make me fatigued. Um, but I really concentrate on that in the off season. And so, uh, on a non-race week, I'll definitely do, you know, a, a workout with, you know, the slam balls and the boxes and, you know, mix it up with some spears and obstacles. Mm -hmm. uh, but race week, I really won't do much. Um, I'll do light work. Um, mm -hmm. so not do a workout, um, you know, I still go on the rig. I still do long work, but I'm not doing anything like how many can I do? It's just make sure I feel good, loosened up. Um, I don't want my hands to be sore. I don't want my, you know, a lot of people you'll see, I'm like, Oh, I was training. and I got like seven reps and you're like, mm -hmm. the, you know, I mean, it does happen, mm -hmm. but, you know, especially with like the open houses, people do way too much and they like get all these reps. And then the next day <laughs> I can't do anything. And so yeah. Really yeah. Just on the obstacles I tell people well, if you're going to do open house do it one time and if you're successful don't do it six times you know mm -hmm. um I, I and I think that right there is uh, amazing advice because I've seen that too where people they they haven't gotten the rig and they can practice on it and maybe they do finally get it at the open house but it was on their 10th attempt and okay. now they just ripped something open or or they're just tired and then 
yeah. now we don't don't get it in the race and that's when it matters nobody cares if you get it in the open house um yeah. it's it's all about what, what you do race day so well um, I, athletes i coach um actually go to open house don't race saturday and then they race sunday yeah there you go yeah and they can play in the obstacles and get used to it and then they have that day to you know rest and watch and then compete and that's been really well because they, they will get twister for the first time and then they'll get it in the race but they, they mm -hmm. have that clean absolutely that's that's great advice too um so what about your off season then so what's what's typical training look like in the off season so off season as a triathlete we didn't really have one okay me as an older athlete off season is strength training I'm on the bike, I'm swimming, and I still do that. So I'll get home from three days of racing at Norums, and I can't wait to get in the pool. And mm -hmm. I'm not doing a hardcore swim workout, but I'm loosening up. I'm like doing some backstroke, I'm loosening my shoulders, I'm loosening my legs. Uh, and so I use the swimming and the biking now, like just to flush the lactic acid and to just facilitate recovery. Mm -hmm. And it feels amazing. Like anybody that doesn't cross train should cross train. And so I'll take a, a an off season time where I'm actually not pounding. I'm not like just running and pounding on my body. So I'll just do non-impact and just kind of let my body really recover. And that can be anywhere from two to six weeks. Um, on the longer side, um, I've gone even eight weeks of no pounding if I've had like some reoccurring injuries that year and I just need my body to like recover. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm definitely a big fan of cross training. And I, I think sometimes it's hard for people to understand that you have to back off sometimes to, to go ahead. And if you're running year round, if you're lifting as hard as you can year round or, you know, whatever it might be, you're, you'll see some improvements and then you're probably going to plateau. And if not, maybe get worse because those nagging injuries start to pop up. Uh, yeah. So like you said, if you're not cross training, really off season's a great time, but anytime to, to take some breaks from those longer runs or whatever it might be. Yeah. And it just like when you have like, eight, like I think people just have to like really <laughs> listen to their body when I'm coaching athletes, I, you know, they, they log in, they get the email of what their workouts are, but they also log in and report how each workout goes. And when I notice that they're tired or I notice they have some aches and pains, that's when we change the workouts. And I think people have to be willing to be like, Hey, today's going to be a lighter day because my body needs it. And I think sometimes people associate that with, Oh, I'm not, you know, killing it. I'm not, you know, like, they think they're less of an athlete if they take an easy day or back off, but that just makes mm -hmm. you a smart athlete. Mm -hmm. and, you know, being smart is where you're going to have longevity in the sport versus being stubborn and running through pain. And I've been there. Like, I remember like years ago, I'd be like limping down the street. <laughs> I want to loosen up. So yeah. To get wisdom with, with age. I, I have to find, uh, I saw a picture online and I don't even know if it's real or not, but it's, it's pretty funny. And it's, um, uh, a woman getting ready to go for a swim, like looks like a triathlon or something like that. And her whole back is literally kinesio tape. <laughs> and like the caption says, like, maybe we should sit this one out today or something like that. And that's, that's what it turns into is everybody yeah. like limping through these races and, you know, certain races you might be getting ready for Tahoe and it's like, Hey, this is it. I might have this injury, but I know once this race is over, I just got to get through it. But yeah, if it's every single race you're dealing with something, it's not a good way to get through the season. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so actually, let's, 
I'd, I really wanted to talk about this. So let's, let's get into injury right now. So you, you brought up your age. I didn't do it. I just want to make sure the record's straight there, but hey, I am, I'm actually very proud. It's like <laughs> you should be. And I feel awesome. I'm on the start line. I'm going, these girls are like about the age of my kids. A lot of times they're younger than my kids. Oh, that's, and when you beat them, I'm sure it feels even better. <laughs> <laughs> So you've you you've mentioned longevity. You've you've had not just an OCR, but your your career. Um, you've I'm sure you've dealt with your injuries. Um, but I just love to get some maybe some strategies or tips or or things that you would recommend. You know, you mentioned listen to your body. So let's say I okay, I'm listening to my body and my shoulders feeling kind of funny. Or like what what do you typically recommend to your clients? Or do you, what do you do personally when those injuries pop well, up? And- a lot of it's I'm getting to know them. So obviously some of our listeners, you know, you don't know, but it's just like, if you're in doubt, like, oh, should I go? Well, like, okay, why are you in doubt? Like, usually you get up and you're like, oh, I feel awesome. For me, it's even like that fatigue and recovery because recovery is a lot slower. And so two weekends ago I did, I decided that I was going to do the super and then the sprint. And then I was done and I was like, oh, I want to do the trail race. And my husband was like, looking at me and I'm like, well, I don't want to do too much. And he just laughed because he's like, yeah, one more 10 K after how many. <laughs> but that next week I was really fatigued and it wasn't like my shoulder hurt or my knee hurt. I was just tired. And it was basically three races, race pace. My resting heart rate was elevated. So I take my resting heart rate in the morning. And so if that's elevated, I know that I'm either getting sick or I'm stressed out about work or I'm fatigued. And so knowing that when that heart rate's elevated, it's not, I'm not wimping out on my workout. I'm not, you know, not motivated. It's my body is fatigued. And so being able to say, you know what, you had an hour run today and you're going to go for a 30 minute hike and that's okay. And so I think it's like being mature enough to know that that's okay to, to change it because I'm being smart. And then two days later, I felt great. Whereas maybe I kept pushing each day and you just kind of get like into a hole and then a little more and then a little more and then pretty soon you're over fatigued you're injured and so it's just like really listening um I think a lot of OCR athletes are very motivated and so if you're not motivated well why are you you know burning the candle at both ends you're not getting enough sleep work stressing you out and so people also forget that if they're parents and they work that that's all stress, whether it's physical stress from training or it's stress from work and kids and life, it doesn't matter. It's still stress and you have to like let your body, you know, your body can only handle so much. Um, And so that's where I end up stretching more and foam rolling more and, you know, doing all of those um, recovery modalities. Uh, so you just brought up uh, a ton of stuff. I'm going to hopefully uh, remember everything. I tried to write as fast as I could, but um, so one, I, the, the two things I, I loved you said about um, uh, dealing with these things is, you know, so one, listen to your body. So like you said, if it could be fatigue, it could be pain. Um, fatigue could lead into pain. So those are, it's just an important thing. So you have kind of that, part of it, but you also do something like measuring your resting heart rate. And that's something that I always recommend. It's super simple, you know, with everybody's phones. Now you don't have to have a heart rate monitor. You can do it right on your phone, but you know, just wake up in the morning, check your resting heart rate and just pay attention. And if you start seeing elevate, like you said, yeah, maybe you're sick, it's overtraining, 
just extra stress from whatever in your life. Um, and those are just two, everybody can do those things. And if you don't, one, just pay attention to your body and do track your resting heart rate, I think you're missing out on a whole lot of information that you're, you could uh, see massive gains in, in performance by just making sure you're recovered before you- And it's free. <laughs> exactly. I know. Like, and, and sure, there's lots of stuff out there that you can buy and maybe it makes it easier or whatever, but yeah, you don't have to if you're just looking at those simple things. Um, so uh, I was glad you brought that up. And uh, when you mentioned fatigue, it started to make me think, you know, one question I, I see often on like Facebook and other forum forums is, okay, I did a race. How long do I need to rest before I start training hard again? And I always think, well, one, you can't really ask other people <laughs> that question because they don't know you and what you just did in that race and all those things. But you're probably going to be a little sore after a race. You're most likely going to be at least fatigued if you're not sore. And I, you were mentioning how, you know, you go down a little bit and you go down a little bit and then it, you get into that hole. And I think that's where all that starts, where you're so eager to get back and you didn't let yourself recover. And now you may not be in pain, but when you're fatigued, you know, your running form might change. You're going to lose some of that efficiency. Maybe if you're lifting, you're not using the same technique as when you're fresh. And now all of a sudden those nagging injuries start to pop up. Um, so I just, I liked how you, you mentioned all that. Cause I think that's a great way to think about uh, recovery. So you can start improving um, and get the most out of your workouts and not just feel like I have to do these things and I have to kill myself from workout to workout. So we, we've talked a lot about uh, dealing with injuries and recovery and really how we met and set up this interview was uh, through Venga CBD, who is one of the sponsors of this show. And um, I just love to learn about how you use their product uh, to help with this um, and just how, how it's been beneficial for you. Well, Venga is amazing. So number one, it's, it's the best CBD company out there. They test their products. So there's no THC. And it's five times stronger than most companies out there because it's water soluble. Um, I've been using it for several months and it's really helped me. And I think as a, as an older, a seasoned athlete, um, <laughs> I do have a lot of aches and pains. I do have tendonitis in my Achilles and my knees. And so I've been able to take it orally and put it on all those spots that are hurting me. Um, and they even have a special code for all you listeners for your first time <laughs> order. If you want to try it, uh, Check them out at Venga Endurance and putting uh, Heather OCR and they'll give you 10% off. And I guarantee you'll be so happy you tried it. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, I'll make sure to put that link in the code in our, our show notes as well. You, you mentioned um, kind of that uh, mental side of it and not feeling motivated and burned out, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so I want to bring up, you wrote a book, co-authored, um, triathlete EQ. And this is kind of talking about that emotional side, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'd love, if, uh, you know, just to give like a, a brief uh, overview of, you know, the main point that you're trying to make in that book and just how this emotional side is probably just as important as the physical side of training. Well, it is. And so like people don't realize it's, it's not just about how strong and how fast it's the training it's also the mental side, it's nutrition and hydration. Like there's so much more involved than just run, lift, race. You know, there's a lot more involved. And uh, the book was written, um, Triathlete EQ. So it was written on the premise of 
um, the mental, emotional side of training for a triathlon. But I've talked to golf teams, I've talked to football teams, I've talked to several teams. Um, I go out and, and public speak on the book. And so it applies to any sport. Uh, it's just a lot of the stories are, are my stories. So they're from triathlon. Um, and really just like how the mental game plays such an important role from positive mantras to what we say to ourselves out on the race course to what we say to ourselves when we're training. And unfortunately, I find so many athletes that I coach, like amazing people, amazing athletes, and they just like say negative things to themselves. They beat themselves up. And I'll be like, well, what would I say to you? And they're like, yeah, you would not say that to me. <laughs> and so to myself, if I start saying something, it's like, you know, would your best friend say that to you? No. Like, and so, you know, what do you say to yourself when you look in the mirror? Most people look in the mirror and, oh, gee, look at these wrinkles. And, oh, I look so awful. And, oh, I wish I might have more muscles. I mean, like, most people look in the mirror and like say something negative instead mm -hmm. of like, hey, you did an awesome workout today or way to give it a hundred percent or you ran slow today, but you were being smart. Or, you know, like just like saying positive things to yourself and like being your own, like, best coach and I find that like just even in life like you know moms like beat themselves out about how good of a mom they are instead of like hey you're doing a great job being a mom you're doing a great job at work and um I try to instill that into into my kids and athletes I coach of just like and it, it sounds silly almost but I hear myself say it uh, but it goes so far in, and especially when you're out on the race course and you're coming up to an obstacle and you think you're not going to make it. You're like, oh, I haven't made any of my spirits. Well, you're probably going to miss it. But mm -hmm. if you're like, oh, I'm going to nail this, you're more likely to get it. And so um, if I can encourage your listeners just to like say positive things um, to themselves. And that's just like one chapter in the book. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, it's really important. Yeah. And I, I, I might have talked about this on previous episodes, but I've done that so many times where I have my, my obstacles that I don't like you know, whether I failed them before, they're hard, whatever. Yeah, I just have a, a negative uh, association with them. And sometimes in the race, I start thinking about those obstacles and I'm not even there yet. And it's like, uh, it's like the, the Z wall is just one for me that I just don't like it. And I'm thinking about when is the Z wall and I'm trying to remember the map and all these things. Next thing I know, I'm like walking. I'm like, and for no reason other than I I'm just, I'm like almost trying to distance myself from that obstacle. So I'm like, well, if I run slower, I won't get there as soon. And, you know, it's totally irrational, but that's just how it is. And, and I've even done races where they've, it wasn't even in the race and I was worried about it. And, you know, it just, <laughs> you just totally can get inside your own head. And now I'm doing much better at taking the, you know, I'm just looking in front of me, what's in front of me right now. And how am I going to beat whatever, is it a hill? And I'm just going to focus on this hill right now. When I get to that obstacle, I'll, I'll worry about it then. And, um, but it's hard. Like it, this is all, it's, it's always easy to say, be positive. But as soon as those negative thoughts creep in, unless you're consciously thinking about how am I going to turn this around? It's, it's a, a difficult thing to do. You can like write positive mantras on your arm and just kind of like glance, glance at it. And you're like, Oh yeah. You know? And yeah. So start thinking negative. It's like so easy to just spiral down and you probably subconsciously just started walking um, yeah, but exactly. Break the race into like quarters. Okay, this is what you're going to think of from here to here. And then you break it. Okay, now this section, this section. And when people think about like the whole thing, especially if you're going up and down a mountain, it's, it's daunting. Mm -hmm. And so just like tackling it in your mind section by section is, is really helpful. Um, 
And especially section has the Z-Wall. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I've taken a lot of your time, um, but before you go, I just have a couple quick questions. I, I always love to, to ask everybody that comes on. And um, first is, what's your favorite obstacle? Uh, the rigs, for sure. The rigs, yes. awesome. How about least least favorite? <laughs> but not when they're raining or when it's oh like, yeah, or when it's uh, there's like frost on them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, how about your least favorite obstacle? Can't have one. Mostly okay. Very good answer. I should have known better. <laughs> uh, and how about your favorite race venue? Um, I think I'm really excited to go to Norham's just because of all the different obstacles. Uh, awesome. But I do love Tahoe. Okay. Part of it is learning to love Tahoe and learning mm -hmm. to be really excited about it. Yeah. Uh, so I think that makes a big difference. It's just whatever venue you're going to, to be like, oh, I'm so excited about this one versus oh, this is going to suck. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, awesome. Well, if if our listeners want to learn more about you and what you do, where can they go to learn more and reach out to you? Yeah, so I'm athlete Heather Golnick on Instagram. Uh, a lot of people just message me through there. Uh, my website is heathergolnick.com. Uh, that has some coaching information. It was down for a little while, but should be fixed. And uh, it's got my book and other stuff on there as well. Awesome. Well, I'll help all of our listeners out and I will put that in the uh, show notes for this episode, but thank you so much for your time. This is uh, awesome talking to you and a ton of information that I know our listeners will get a lot out of. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Well, that's going to do it for episode 64 of the OCR underground show. Big thanks to our guest, Heather Golnick and all her tips for uh, helping her stay in tip top shape and uh, just really crushing those races out there. I hope you guys got a, a few solid uh, strategies that you can implement into your training and recovery routine. Um, make sure you subscribe to the show and get all of the latest episodes as I put them out. And if you picked up a helpful tip or two, I would love it if you gave us a review on iTunes or however you might be listening to the show. And then finally, if you stuck around this long, I have a special surprise for you. We are doing a free giveaway and giving away a ton of stuff thanks to our sponsors of the show. Um, you can enter to win a free Spartan Race entry, uh, free Venga CBD products, free designer protein products, uh, Handmaster Plus, and more. All you have to do is head on over to ocrunderground.com slash free dash giveaway and uh, just enter your name and email and we will be picking a winner at the end of the day on Friday, August 31st. So uh, head on over there now and hopefully it's not too late from when you're listening to this episode. Uh, that's going to do it for now and we will see you next time.